Today's scripture reading is going to be found in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, that's Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. You can also follow me along up here. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Amen. God bless the reading of his word. Good morning, church. So good to see you. Uh, man, what an amazing worship assembly this has been. You feel the presence of the Lord in this place? I think revival may be about to break out here. So uh, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Well, I, uh, I, I want to, uh, uh, in, in Public Speaking 101, they tell you never start a, a sermon with an apology. So let me start with an apology. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm going to have to slip out pretty quickly this morning when we wrap up. Uh, my flight board's in one hour and 51 minutes uh, from now. So uh, I'm going to have to make a nice little quick jaunt over to the airport, drop the rental car off, and get back, uh, get back to uh, the uh, airport. Uh, we have our Hope Network annual retreat tonight. It starts in Houston, so that's why I've got to get back a little earlier. And I do want to invite you all to join us in prayer. Uh, these are partners from around the country who minister to those who minister to others. We try to minister to elders and church leaderships and to ministry staff members. And so we need your prayers over these next couple of days because there's a lot of folks who are really hurting and struggling right now. And so we just ask that you would partner in us with prayer. And I'm really thrilled to announce that your search team has tentatively completed the formal portion of its work. So the uh, decisioning process now goes to the uh, elders who over the next few weeks will engage in prayerful discernment and decision making and we will update you as soon as we finalize a game plan uh, moving forward. And just a quick word about your committee. I wish every single one of you could have been part of it. I really do. It would have been extremely difficult to have committee meetings, but I wish all of you could have participated. I wish you could have been a fly on the wall and just watch and hear these brothers and sisters, their depth of faithfulness, their commitment. They had over 22 meetings, I believe. I believe that's right. And that doesn't count. How many? 23 meetings. That doesn't count the interviews, the conversations with candidates, collectively hundreds and hundreds of hours spent, not because they had to, but because they wanted to serve the church in this way. So um, if you see a committee member, hug his or her neck and just tell them how much you appreciate them, unless they're highly introverted and then just give them a fist bump. That's fine too. <laughs> I will say this has been one of the most humbling experiences of my life. Um, yesterday, the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit was just profound in this meeting where uh, we put our thoughts on the table. And uh, I just want to say, God is good. 
God is good all the time. Yes, thank you, Jackie. And all the time, God is indeed good. Yes. Um, Keep praying, especially now for your elders. Your search team has been the recommendation committee. Your elders are the hiring committee. And so now they go into the trenches of some deep level work based on what your search team has shared with them. So we're in a series of lessons entitled Discipleship 101. We've examined Romans chapter 6 a few weeks ago, and we concluded that if indeed Jesus rose from the dead, then that changes everything. Last week, we walked through John chapter 8, and we saw how Jesus used the Feast of the Tabernacles and the imagery in the Feast of the Tabernacles to proclaim to the world, I am the Messiah, I am the water of life, I am the light of the world. Why a series on discipleship? Well, I think to begin with, churches all over the United States haven't really done a very good job of making disciples. We have unintentionally done a better job of making consumers. Forgiving one another 70 times 7 has been replaced with, if my feelings get hurt, I'll go somewhere else. And church, that is not how disciples of Jesus Christ act. Dallas Willard observes, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from Him. I love that apprenticeship analogy. Any electricians in the room? Anybody an electrician by trade? Did you have to do an apprenticeship when you were learning the trade? Yeah, isn't that wonderful? It's a great image to get in our mind. We watch those who have mastered and we do what they do. So as an apprentice of Jesus Christ, we watch what he mastered, how he treated people, how he honored his father, how he lived the Word of God and became the Word of God, how he healed and how he stepped into very difficult situations, and on and on and on. A disciple, and we've shared this definition with you already, is someone who follows Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is someone who follows Jesus, is challenged and changed by Jesus, and is on mission with Jesus to save others. There's this journey that we see in the process of discipleship, It doesn't always follow every single step cleanly, but but generally it begins with curiosity. I want to know more about this man, Jesus. I want to know more about his ministry and his message. And you hope and pray that that moves then to this individual becoming a believer. And we hope that becoming a believer leads to discipleship. And ultimately, we pray that discipleship leads to disciple-making. And there's all different types of ways for you to be involved in that process. But one of the worst decisions we can make is to not be involved in the process and leaving disciple-making up to others. You may not be the person up front. You may not be the person that teaches the class. But all of us, all of us, as disciples of Jesus Christ, 
are in a place where we can help make disciples of Jesus Christ. Several Sundays ago, when we introduced your new mission statement to be a church who, through the power of the gospel, grows in Christ and serves in love and equips for life, I preached a lesson from 1 John chapter 4. And here's just a really quick reminder of the context that we discussed during that lesson, the context uh, through which John, uh, the Gospels of John, um, the Gospel of John, and ultimately these three letters of John surface. In the New English Bible, you may remember that uh, John is given the title, Return to Fundamentals, and that's really appropriate, right? Because first and second and third John all focus on the fundamentals of belief and life for those who are disciples of Jesus Christ. It has a lot in common with the Gospel of John, and first John's a great place to begin if you have never read the Bible. You might remember this from our study a few months back. John's probably now an older man, and he's most likely shepherding uh, some house churches, probably in or around uh, Ephesus. And it reads more like a sermon than a letter. And it appears to be uh, designed for a very particular group of Christians. There's this false doctrine that's going around, that it's possible to live without sin. And if we can live without sin, then there was really no reason for Jesus to die. And if there was no reason for Jesus to die, then there's really no reason for Jesus. Because after all, if we can live without sinning, then we really don't need a Savior. And so in a nutshell, the false doctrine was Jesus doesn't impact the outcome of the story. Well, of course, John pushes back on that quite forthrightly in some places and more gently in others. But he focuses in this first epistle on two primary truths. Truth one, God is light. And truth two, God is love. So with that as a backdrop, let's look at 1 John chapter 2 this morning, verses 1 through 6. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. And remember the context, right? So this is a really intriguing play on words here because there's a group of believers who believe that they can live without sinning. I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, which of course we all will, right? He's pushing back against the teaching, the false teaching. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. And whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, well, that person's a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. And this is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And in a nutshell, that's a fantastic definition of discipleship. Living as Jesus lived. Now, I've made it... Uh, um, a very important part of my life over the past five or six years to take as deep a dive into discipleship as possible. Because even as I reflect back on my own journey, I don't know that I did a very good job discipling others. But I was never really discipled, so I've kind of had to learn what that means and how it works. 
and so I came across a fantastic resource, and I've talked to uh, Dallas Kingsbury about this, and, and maybe at some point uh, you all will be able to engage this resource or others um, in some of your adult Bible classes. Uh, and it's called the Disciple Makers Handbook. It's by Bobby Harrington and Josh Patrick. They both have a very high view of Scripture. Um, and they put some really great ideas forth. And they define uh, discipleship this way. Discipleship and disciple making are simply forming our lives around Jesus and helping others do the same. Isn't that great? Sometimes we hear the word discipleship and we think lofty program and, oh, we've got to get all of our ducks in a row and, oh, I've got to, I've got to know so much about the Bible and I've got to be a theology expert. And it's like, no, just slow down a little bit. Don't overcomplicate it. Basically, basically, if we kind of boil it down to its essence, we're just forming our lives around the life of Jesus. And we're helping those in our circles of influence do the same thing. These authors point out seven elements of disciple-making. They're not the only elements. I would say these are seven primary elements of disciple-making. You can see those on screen. Jesus, of course, the Bible and Scripture, uh, the Holy Spirit, intentionality, relationality, story, and growth. So our time together today, we're going to focus on these first two elements, Jesus and the Bible and or Scripture. So let's go back to the text. John writes, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. By the way, it's the same Greek structure there as describing the Holy Spirit. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful passage, message to this group of believers. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. When we think about Jesus, we think about the centrality of Jesus in this conversation about disciple-making. I love how Paul reinforces the words of John in Colossians chapter 1, 28, when Paul writes, Jesus is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. There are a lot of other folks out there who've studied discipleship a whole lot longer than I have and who bring some wonderful expertise to passages like this. Francis Chan writes on discipleship, it's impossible to be a disciple or follower of someone and not end up like that person. Jesus said, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. That's the whole point of being a disciple of Jesus. We imitate him. Carry on his ministry and become like him in the process. So John begins this portion by focusing on Jesus, and that's what we are to focus on as disciples of Christ. After all, we are the church of Christ, (laughs) right? So it's right there in our name, the central importance of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he is the one who brought good news, and we are his bringers of good news. The text continues, we know that, and this transitions to the second piece that I want to talk about this morning of the Word. We know that if we've come to know Him, if we keep His commands, whoever says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands, well, that person's just lying, and the truth is not in Him. 
But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So as you reflect on these words this morning during our time together, I want to focus just for a few moments on the Bible, on the Word, on the place where we read and learn the commands of Jesus. And as we follow those commands, live into the fullness, grow into the fullness of God's love. We begin with a wonderful synopsis provided by Patrick and Harrington in the Disciple Maker's Handbook. And I would encourage you to memorize this definition or write your own, because it'll, it'll serve you well uh, as an introduction uh, for someone, uh, an introduction to Scripture from someone who may not know a lot about it, and someone who hopefully you will lead to Jesus one day. Now, I want to call just a little quick time out here. We must not assume that people know anything about the Bible these days. Okay? So it is very possible that as you are interacting with people where you're out in public or maybe even a family member that you haven't had a conversation with in a while, they may know there is such a thing as a Bible, but they might not have a clue what it is or what it's about. So here's a definition for you to consider. The Bible. The Word of God is the training manual that Jesus relied upon in his ministry and provided for all discipleship and teaching. As the author of the scriptures, Jesus has provided its contents in both the Old and New Testaments to give us his teaching, his correction, and his training on the important matters of life and godliness. Now, obviously, we know that scripture is a whole lot more than that. But remember, this is an introductory definition, okay? You can customize it. You can customize something like this to your own language. But I can just almost see us in a situation, maybe we're in a bookstore, and we happen to see someone looking at the Bibles, and we say, oh, it's interesting. What kind of Bible are you looking for? Well, I don't really know a lot about the Bible. I just, a friend of mine was telling me that I really need to get one, so um, I don't know. What do you think? Well, hey, let me just, let me just say, tell you what I think about the Bible. Start up a conversation. Plant some seeds. Trust God to do the rest. You know, when Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he offers these very familiar words to many of us. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, it's easy for us to remember verse 16. But the most important part of the passage is the link between verse 16 and 17, the phrase, so that. So that what, Paul? So that disciples of Jesus are equipped for every good work. And I think it so helps us understand what the Bible is. And it also helps us understand what the Bible is not. Notice, a few notes here from the Disciple Maker's Handbook again, and we could spend hours of discussion on this, hours and hours, but it just simply is a starting point um, as we are committing our hearts to rightly dividing the word of truth. So what the Bible is, um, it is God-breathed. Um, it is not man, and I made this word up myself, it is not man-affested, okay? Uh, it is not a, just a creation of man. It is Holy Spirit breathed. Now, we see in some parts of the Bible 
that the uniqueness of the individual is allowed to shine through. As a matter of fact, in a, in a couple of situations, Paul will even say, now this is my opinion, okay? But even in that even in that offering, Paul himself is a man who is filled with the Holy Spirit of God as he is pinning the words of Scripture. It's designed to equip disciples. It is not designed to enslave us. Free will is always part of the equation. God doesn't force you to do anything. He calls you to be his child. He calls you to walk in relationship with his son. The Bible is transformative. It has the power to change lives. It is not so much touchy-feely. Now, there will be times when you will read the Bible and you will go, oh, that just really blesses me, or you will feel good when you read the Word of God. But the Word of God is just not this shallow, oh, I only read it when I need to feel good. It's a little more profound than that. And I'll get to a quote here in just a few moments that will help bring that into uh, focus. It is authoritative, It is not optional, at least not for the disciple of Jesus. It is life-giving. It is not legalistic. The Bible is not just simply a set of rules and regulations. There are rules and regulations in the Bible, but to move to that extreme that that's all it is, it really divorces us from the full scope of Scripture and what God wants us to understand and experience as we read it. It is past present and future focused. It is not a means to health and wealth. And we could say a whole lot more, but those are just some broad brushstrokes to help us understand the nature of Scripture. Richard Foster offers some great insight in his book, Celebration of Discipline. He writes, the first and most important book we are to study is the Bible. We come to the Bible to be changed not to amass information. And don't get me wrong, it's important to learn Scripture. It's important to understand the information that is in the Bible. But it is not exclusively a head exercise. It is a head and heart exercise. Amen? Are you with me? He continues, we must understand, however, that a vast difference exists between the study of Scripture and the devotional reading of Scripture. In the study of Scripture, a high priority is placed upon interpretation, what it means. In the devotional reading of Scripture, a high priority is placed upon application, what it means for me. All too often, people rush to the application stage and bypass the interpretation stage. They want to know what it means for them before they know what it means. Also, we are not seeking spiritual ecstasy in study. In fact, ecstasy can be a hindrance. When we study a book of the Bible, we are seeking to be controlled by the intent of the author We are determined to hear what he is saying, not what we want him to say. We want life-transforming truth, not just good feelings. We are willing to pay the price of barren day after barren day until the meaning is clear. And this process revolutionizes our lives. Now think about it. Man, there are just things in the Bible that are too hard to understand. I give up. No, 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 no. 
There are things in the Bible that I don't understand. Keep wrestling. Hang in there. Trust the wisdom of we is greater than the wisdom of me. And God can use that to facilitate powerful life change. Now, what any author has to say about the Scripture, whether it's Richard Foster or Josh Patrick or anybody else, anything that the other authors have to say about the Bible, what they write about the Bible, it's helpful and it's important. But there is no substitute for simply studying the Bible. No greater substitute. There's no greater substitute in simply reading the Bible, purposefully reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God as often as we can. Let's let Scripture speak to us on its own terms as we take a deeper dive into this extremely important element. I just want to read a few passages here to show you about the power of Scripture, especially as we just let it wash over us, head and heart. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He was the Word. And so they were able to see and live and experience the Word and hold to His teaching. They didn't have the the New Testament that we have today, but they had His teaching. We have His teaching in the form of the New Testament and the Old to help us understand the context in which the New Testament is situated. And so we obey His teaching teaching. We obey His Word. We obey Scripture. And then what's the outcome of that ultimately? What happens to us? We know the truth. And then what happens? We're set free. We're set free. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Church, where do we get the lens to do that? Where do we get the filter to do that? Where do we draw the strength to do that? Where do we mine the knowledge to do that? It's okay to talk in church. Where where do we get that? From the Word. From the Word, through Scripture, through the Bible, through the very Word of God. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, say it with me, mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The Apostle Paul taught those he discipled to follow the teachings of Scripture. Note his words to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 4. 
in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the, say it with me, word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth, and they will turn aside to myths. What Paul describes here stands in opposition to the way that many people take when thinking about Scripture today. Francis Chan sheds some light on this. He notes, discipleship in this day is a lot of people getting together and sharing their feelings and thoughts. So as leaders, we have to teach people to be able to teach others that your thoughts really don't matter that much. And you can't believe everything you think and feel. And I'm going to say amen big time. And we come under the authority of Scripture. Now, this next piece is one of the most powerful insights that I've read in a long, long time. We have to be honest and say, look, there are things in this book that I don't agree with. I don't think... I don't feel, but I surrender to it. And when I disagree with this book, I assume God is right and I am wrong. And the greatest thing that any of the guys who discipled me taught me was how to read this book for myself. And what I love about that is he's not saying, hey, look how, look how much I've got it together. He's learning don't rely so much on what's happening in the world, the latest, greatest Bible study fad, the most recent brilliant insight that's going to revolutionize your life. Just be in the Word. Engage the Word. Let the Word dictate to you how to live your life, even if you don't understand it. Trust the Word of God. How many civilizations have risen and fallen since the beginning of time? How many philosophers have come and gone? How many brilliant this, that, or the others born and died? But the Word of God has remained steadfast and secure. It has weathered every storm thrown against it. I encourage you to use the Bible for discipleship. And remember, simple definition, orienting my life around Jesus and encouraging others in my circle of influence to do the same. Be in Scripture, but don't be afraid to talk about Scripture or engage others with Scripture when you are having conversations. I love this Teaching from Paul in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 17, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how, they, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Consequently, faith comes through hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Now, we 
generally consider preaching something that happens in a church worship assembly, and most of the time preaching does. That's very true, but it's not completely true. Preaching can occur in any context. To preach is to simply share good news, not just verbally, but with our lives, with our testimony, with our witness, with our faith, all on display for the glory of God. Some of you may have stumbled across this famous poem by Edgar Guest, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eye is a better pupil, more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. Who stands with men of honor learns to hold his honor dear, for right living speaks a language which to everyone is clear. Though an able speaker charms me with his eloquence, I say, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. So be the living truth of God. Model it. Example it. Don't be afraid to pick your Bible out and say, I was just in the Word this week and came across it. Can I share this with you? This is so powerful. Look for Jesus in all parts of the Bible as well. Not all teachings in the Bible are primary, but Jesus always is. From the very beginning, He was there. Let us make man in our image. Jesus was part. From the very beginning, Colossians chapter 1 also reinforces that truth. I love this definition. Again, I'll quote Patrick and Harrington from the Disciple Maker's Handbook. The central message of the Bible is that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the focus, for the gospel is all about him, his life, his teaching, his cross, his resurrection, and his ascending to the highest place of honor in heaven as he is now our reigning Lord. If you have the thoughts, and we'll wrap up this morning, learn and teach others how to read Scripture. I've heard it said that there have never been more tools to study the Bible uh, today, and yet biblical literacy is at an all-time low. And I'm not sure how quantifiable that is, but in our culture at least, uh, we seem to be drifting further and further away from Christ-likeness. So therefore, it's pretty easy to assume that the Bible is not the anchor Uh, that it once was for many. And on top of that, with so many versions and so many different types of churches and so many different study guides and so many different theories, and we could go on and on, it almost seems sometimes like an impossible maze to navigate. But this is where you can be extremely useful to others as you talk about Scripture and how it forms your Faith, teach them to avoid the the latest, greatest fad or the latest, greatest philosopher or a professor uh, who just happened to notice insight that everybody else missed for the past 2,000 years. Um, Vet resources that you're encountering through conversations with your ministers and other believers. You have people in this congregation who are extremely well-read and who are extremely uh, studious people, not only of the Word, but resources that have been created about the Word. And so pick their brain, ask, is this a legitimate uh, author? Is this a valid resource? Is this something that I should be spending some time in and focusing uh, on? 
Learn how to recognize Greek letters and words. Learn how to recognize Hebrew letters and words and look up their own meanings. I'm not saying learn how to read and write Greek or learn how to read and write Hebrew, but it's not actually very difficult to learn the alphabets and begin to recognize letters so you can expand your knowledge of the Word of God. And I would say finally, study the Bible more than you study what your favorite author or preacher says about the Bible. Study the Bible more than you study what other people say about it. Love this quote by a gentleman named Kevin DeYoung. He says, no one succeeds at the highest level of sports without working out. No one makes it in music without a lot of practice. No one excels in scholarship without years of study, and no one makes it far in the school of holiness without hours and days and years in the Word. As we study, we as children of God need to be obedient, yes, but we also need to be humble. We never use the Word of God as a weapon against people, a weapon against the evil one for sure. But we don't use it as a weapon against people. We use it as a, an invitation into God's holiness and righteousness. John chapter 13, Jesus said, I, A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you in the same way. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Integrate the Bible into the discipleship process. I want to come back and talk a little bit more about this next Sunday, but I want to close our time together with this wonderful passage from Isaiah 55. I think it kind of crystallizes all that I've encouraged you to contemplate this morning. Beginning in verse 10, chapter 55, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I, what I, the Lord, desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about how to intentionally and relationally put this into practice. This morning, we're going to share a song together. And as we share this song, if you don't have a Bible, turn to the person next to you and say, hey, I don't, uh, I don't have a Bible. Would you, would you help me go pick, pick out one? I can guarantee you they will say, their next question is going to be, when do you want to go? <laughs> when do you want to go? Um, if you do have a Bible, but you're not really in it very much, even as we sing this song together, would you resolve to just spend more time in the Word of God, to be formed by it and shaped by it, even when you don't understand it? Perhaps today you have been convicted by what we've shared from the Word of God and you believe and you're ready to state to others, I, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God and I, I want to confess His name before men and I want to be baptized 
Well, we're going to sing a song together, and there'll be a couple of the shepherds down front, and you can let them know. Be in the Word this week. I'm looking forward to next Sunday already, and uh, prayers for safe travels, please, between now and then. Let's stand together. Let's sing.